today's selection from Calvert Library's digital collection is I'd Tell You I Love You, But Then I'd Have to Kill You, written by Allie Carter. Chapter 1 I suppose a lot of teenage girls feel invisible sometimes, like they just disappear. Well, that's me, Cammy the Chameleon. But I'm luckier than most because at my school... That's considered cool. I go to a school for spies. Of course, technically, the Gallagher Academy for Exceptional Young Women is a school for geniuses, not spies, and we're free to pursue any career that befits our exceptional educations. But when a school tells you that, and then teaches you things like advanced encryption and 14 different languages... It's kind of like Big Tobacco telling kids not to smoke. So all us Gallagher girls know lip service when we hear it. Even my mom rolls her eyes but doesn't correct me when I call it spy school, and she's the headmistress. Of course, she's also a retired CIA operative, and it was her idea for me to write this, my first covert operations report, to summarize what happened last semester. She's always telling us that the worst part of the spy life isn't the danger. It's the paperwork. After all, when you're on a plane home from Istanbul with a nuclear warhead and a hatbox, the last thing you want to do is write a report about it. So that's why I'm writing this. For the practice. If you've got a level 4 clearance or higher, you probably know all about us Gallagher girls, since we've been around for more than 100 years. The school, not me. I'll turn 16 next month. But if you don't have that kind of clearance, then you probably think we're just an urban spy myth, like jetpacks and invisibility suits. And you drive by our ivy-covered walls, look at our gorgeous mansion and manicured grounds, and assume, like everyone else, that the Gallagher Academy for Exceptional Young Women is just a snooty boarding school for bored heiresses with no place else to go. Well, to tell you the truth, we're totally fine with that. It's one of the reasons no one in the town of Roseville, Virginia, thought twice about the long line of limousines that brought my classmates back to campus last September. I watched from a window seat on the third floor of the mansion as the cars materialized out of the blankets of green foliage and turned through the towering wrought iron gates. The half-mile-long driveway curved through the hills, looking as harmless as Dorothy's yellow brick road, not giving a clue that it's equipped with laser beams that read tire treads and sensors that check for explosives, and one entire section that can open up and swallow a truck whole. If you think that's dangerous, don't even get me started on the pond. I wrapped my arms around my knees and stared through the window's wavy glass. The red velvet curtains were drawn around the tiny alcove, and I was enveloped by an odd sense of peace, knowing that in twenty minutes the halls were going to be crowded. Music was going to be blaring, and I was going to go from being an only child to one of a hundred sisters, so I knew to savor the silence while it lasted. Then, as if to prove my point, a loud blast and the smell of burning hair came floating up the main stairs from the second-floor hall of history, followed by Professor Buckingham's distinguished voice crying, "'Girls, 
I told you not to touch that. The smell got worse, and one of the seventh graders was probably still on fire, because Professor Buckingham yelled, Stand still! Stand still, I say! Then, Professor Buckingham said some French swear words that the seventh graders probably wouldn't understand for three semesters. And I remembered how every year during new student orientation, one of the newbies will get cocky and try to show off by grabbing the sword Jillian Gallagher used to slay the guy who was going to kill Abraham Lincoln. The first guy, that is. The one you never hear about. But what the newbies aren't told on their campus tour is that Jilly's sword is charged with enough electricity to, well, light your hair on fire. I just love the start of school. I think our room used to be an attic once upon a time. It has these cool dormers and oddly shaped windows and lots of little nooks and crannies where a girl can sit with her back against the wall and listen to the thundering feet and squeals of hello that are probably pretty standard at boarding schools everywhere on the first day after summer break. But they probably stop being standard when they take place in Portuguese and Farsi. Out in the hall, Kim Lee was talking about her summer in Singapore, and Tina Walters was declaring that Cairo was super cool, Johannesburg, not so much. Which is exactly what my mom had said when I'd complained about how Tina's parents were taking her to Africa over the summer, whereas I was going to have to visit my dad's parents on their ranch in Nebraska, an experience I'm fairly sure will never help me break out of an enemy interrogation or disarm a dirty bomb. Hey, where's Cammie? Tina asked but I wasn't about to leave my room until I could come up with a fish story to match the international exploits of my classmates, 70% of whom are the daughters of current or former government operatives, a.k.a. spies. Even Courtney Bauer had spent a week in Paris, and her parents are both optometrists, so you can see why I wasn't especially eager to admit that I'd spent three months plopped down right in the middle of North America cleaning fish. I'd finally decided to tell them about the time I was experimenting with average household items that can be used as weapons, and accidentally decapitated a scarecrow. Who knew knitting needles could do that kind of damage? When I heard the distinctive thud of luggage crashing into a wall, and a soft, southern, Oh, Cammy, come out, come out, wherever you are. I peered around the corner and saw Liz posing in the doorway, trying to look like Miss Alabama, but bearing a greater resemblance to a toothpick in capri pants and flip-flops. A very red toothpick. She smiled and said, Did you miss me? Well, I did miss her, but I was totally afraid to hug her. What happened to you? Liz rolled her eyes and just said, Don't fall asleep by the pool in Alabama. As if she should have known better, which she totally should have. I mean, we're all technically geniuses and everything, but at age nine, Liz had the highest score on the third grade achievement test ever. The government keeps track of that kind of thing, so the summer before seventh grade, her parents got a visit from some big guys in dark suits, and three months later, Liz was a Gallagher girl. Just not the kill a man with her bare hands variety. If I'm ever on a mission... 
I want Bex beside me and Liz far, far away with about a dozen computers and a chessboard. A fact I couldn't help but remember when Liz tried to fling her suitcase onto the bed, but missed and ended up knocking over a bookcase, demolishing my stereo, and flattening a perfectly scaled replica of DNA that I'd made out of paper mache in eighth grade. Oopsie-daisy, Liz said, throwing her hand to her mouth. Sure, she knows cuss words in 14 different languages, but when faced with a minor catastrophe, Liz says, Oopsie-daisy. At that point, I didn't care how sunburned she was. I had to hug my friend. At 6.30 exactly, we were in our uniforms, sliding our hands over the smooth mahogany banisters and descending down the staircases that spiral gracefully to the foyer floor. Everyone was laughing. Turns out my knitting needle story was a big hit, but Liz and I kept looking towards the door to the center of the atrium below. Maybe there was trouble with the plane, Liz whispered. Or customs? Or... I'm sure she's just late. I nodded and continued glancing down the foyer as if, on cue, Bex was going to burst through the doors. But they stayed closed, and Liz's voice got squeakier as she asked, Did you hear from her? I didn't hear from her. Why didn't we hear from her? Well, I would have been surprised if we had heard from her to tell you the truth. As soon as Bex had told us that both her mom and her dad were taking a leave of absence to spend the summer with her, I knew she wasn't going to be much of a pen pal. Leave it to Liz to come to a completely different conclusion. Oh my gosh, what if she dropped out? Liz cranked up the worry in her voice. Did she get kicked out? Why would you think that? Well, she said, stumbling over the obvious... Bex always has been a rules-optional kind of person. Liz shrugged, and sadly, I couldn't disagree. And why else would she be late? Gallagher girls are never late. Cammy, you know something, don't you? You've got to know something. Times like this are when it's no fun being the headmistress's daughter. Because A, it's totally annoying when people think I'm in a loop I'm not in. And B, People always assume I'm in partnership with the staff, which really, I'm not. Sure, I have private dinners with my mom on Sunday nights, and sometimes she leaves me alone in her office for five seconds, but that's it. Whenever school is in session, I'm just another Gallagher girl. Except for being the girl to whom the aforementioned A and B apply. I looked back down at the front doors, then turned to Liz. I bet she's just late, I say, praying that there would be a pop quiz over supper. Nothing distracts Liz faster than a pop quiz. As we approached the massive open doors of the Grand Hall, where Jilly Gallagher supposedly poisoned a man at her own cotillion, I involuntarily glanced up at the electronic screen that read English, American, even though I knew we always talk in our own language and accents for the welcome back dinner. Our mealtime conversations wouldn't be taking place in Chinese, Mandarin, for at least a week, I hoped. We settled at our usual table in the Grand Hall, and I finally felt at home. Of course, I'd actually been back for three weeks, 
but my only company had been the newbies and the staff. The only thing worse than being the only upperclassman in a mansion full of seventh graders is hanging out in the teacher's lounge, watching your ancient languages professor put drops in the ears of the world's foremost authority on data encryption, while he swears he'll never go scuba diving again. Ew, mental picture of Mr. Moskowitz in a wetsuit. Gross. Since a girl can only read so many back issues of espionage today, I usually spent those pre-semester days wandering around the mansion, discovering hidden compartments and secret passageways that are at least a hundred years old and haven't seen a good dusting in about that long. Mostly, I tried to spend time with my mom, but she'd been super busy and totally distracted. Remembering this now, I thought about Bex's mysterious absence and suddenly began to worry that maybe Liz had been onto something. Then, Anna Fetterman squeezed onto the bench next to Liz and asked, Have you seen it? Did you look? Anna was holding a blue slip of paper that instantly dissolves when you put it in your mouth. Even though it looks like it would taste like cotton candy, it doesn't. Trust me. I don't know why they always put our class schedules on evapo paper. Probably so we can use up our stash of the bad-tasting kind and move on to the good stuff, like mint chocolate chip. But Anna wasn't thinking about the evapopaper flavor when she yelled, We have covert operations! She sounded absolutely terrified, and I remembered that she was probably the only Gallagher girl that Liz could take in a fistfight. I looked at Liz, and even she rolled her eyes at Anna's hysterics. After all, everyone knows sophomore year is the first time we get to do anything that even approaches actual fieldwork. It's our first exposure to real spy stuff, but Anna seemed to be forgetting that the class itself was, sadly, kind of a cakewalk. I'm pretty sure we can handle it, Liz soothed, prying the paper from Anna's frail hands. All Buckingham does is tell horror stories about all the stuff she saw in World War II, and show slides, remember? Ever since she broke her hip, she's... But Buckingham's out! Anna exclaimed. And this got my attention. I'm sure I stared at her for a second or two before saying, Professor Buckingham is still here, Anna. Not adding that I'd spent half the morning coaxing Onyx, her cat, down from the top shelf of the staff library. That's got to be just a start of the school rumor. There were always plenty of those, like how some girl got kidnapped by terrorists, or one of the staff members won a hundred grand on the Wheel of Fortune. Though, now that I think of it, that one actually was true. No, Anna said. You don't understand. Buckingham's doing some kind of semi-retirement thing. She's going to do orientation and acclimation for the newbies, but that's it. She's not teaching anymore. Wordlessly, our heads turned, and we counted seats at the staff table. Sure enough, there was an extra chair. Then who's teaching co-vops? I asked. Just then, a loud murmur rippled through the enormous room as my mom strolled through the doors at the back of the hall, followed by all the usual suspects, the twenty teachers I'd been looking at and learning from for the past three years. Twenty teachers... 21 chairs. I know I'm the genius, but you do the math. 
Liz, Anna, and I all looked at each other, then back at the staff table as we ran through the faces, trying to comprehend that extra chair. One face was new, but we were expecting that, because Professor Smith always returns from summer vacation with a whole new look. Literally. His nose was larger, his ears more prominent, and a small mole had been added to his left temple, disguising what he claimed was the most wanted face on three continents. Rumor has it he's wanted by gun smugglers in the Middle East, ex-KGB hitmen in Eastern Europe, and a very upset ex-wife somewhere in Brazil. Sure, all this experience makes him a great countries of the world, cow, professor, but the best thing Professor Smith brings to the Gallagher Academy is the annual anticipation of guessing what face he will assume in order to enjoy his summer break. He hasn't come back as a woman yet, but it's probably just a matter of time. The teachers took their seats, but the chair stayed empty as my mother took her place at the podium in the center of the long head table. Women of the Gallagher Academy, who comes here? she asked. Just then, every girl at every table, even the newbies, stood and said in unison, We are the sisters of Jillian. Why do you come? my mother asked. To learn her skills, honor her sword, and keep her secrets. To what end do you work? To the cause of justice and light. How long will you strive? For all the days of our lives. We finished, and I felt a little like a character on one of my grandma's soap operas. We sat down, but Mom remained standing. Welcome back, students she said, beaming. This is going to be a wonderful year here at the Gallagher Academy. For our newest members, she turned to the table of seventh graders, who seemed to shiver under her intense gaze. Welcome. You are about to begin the most challenging year of your young lives. Rest assured that you would not have been given this challenge were you not up to it. To our returning students, this year will mark many changes. She glanced at her colleagues and seemed to ponder something before returning back to us. We have come to a time when... But before she could finish, the doors flew open, and not even three years of training at spy school prepared me for what I saw. Before I say any more, I should probably remind you that I go to a girl's school. That's all girls. All the time with a few eardrop-needing, plastic-surgery-getting male faculty members thrown in for good measure. But when we turned around, we saw a man walking in our midst who would have made James Bond feel insecure. Indiana Jones would have looked like a mama's boy compared to the man in the leather jacket with the two days' growth of beard who walked to where my mom stood, and then, horror of horrors, winked at her. "'Sorry I'm late.' he said as he slid into the empty chair. His presence was so unprecedented, so surreal, that I didn't even realize Bex had squeezed onto the bench between Liz and Anna, and I had to do a double take when I saw her, and remembered that five seconds before, she'd been MIA. Trouble, ladies? she asked. Where have you been? Liz demanded. Forget that, 
Anna cut in. Who is he? But Bex was a natural-born spy. She raised her eyebrows and said, You'll see. If you enjoyed this chapter and are hungry for more, this title is available as an ebook through Libby. If you're enjoying Book Bites, please don't forget to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if there are books or genres you'd like to hear, email us at calvertlibrarybookbites at gmail.com. Visit calvertlibrary.info for more information and stay tuned for more Book Bites.